Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Marianne Finn is the principal at Morton Collegiate. Marianne, good afternoon. Hi, Al. Hi, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. I had the Stardust drive-in on a couple of weeks ago, and they were saying that you guys are going to be involving the drive-in in your grad. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, we... Um uh, in Morden, I think that we would typically find ourselves to be in a situation where we would use our access event center and uh, and the arena with the ice out to host our graduation. And we, we know that we have an immense amount of community support in Morden for our graduating class year in and year out. We typically have around 100 uh, students graduating and we typically have 1,000 plus visitors coming to our graduation. So um, when it became clear that COVID wasn't going to allow us to have the same kind of graduation ceremony that we typically have we um we looked to the sort of icon in our own backyard the gem uh, that uh, the stardust drive-in is and started to try to see if we could envision a way to utilize that as a way to still create a grad celebration for our students that felt pretty made in morden and special for our kids that would still allow us to celebrate our students in the way that we know that they deserve so right so what are you going to do so how is how is it going to work so what we have already done here at the beginning of June is worked on our way through uh, convocating. Um, we have 137 graduates this year. It's a big bumper crop of students coming through, and uh, we assigned them and six, uh, up to six guests who are members of their households to come in and to spend 10 minutes each with us in our school gym, uh, coming in, being screened on the way in, sanitizing in between, and having a 10-minute mini-graduation ceremony per person with, uh, with their loved ones there um, to be able to take some photos and to share in that moment. So <clears throat> uh, not every kid was able to make it, but 126 times over the course of four days, we walked kids across our stages and um, presented them with a, a diploma, or they presented themselves with a clean, sanitized diploma that was waiting for them on a, on a stand. <laughs> and uh, several of our amazing um, uh, graphic design class teachers in our school uh, had cameras set up and filmed the procession, filmed them walking the stages, filmed them receiving their diplomas, and have been working diligently to create a, a edited together copy of that video that looks very much like the graduation ceremony they would have seen if they would have been at the Access Event Center together. Isn't that cool? And then they're going to be at the drive-in and they'll be able to see the video. Yeah, so our plan is it, uh, to have this video ready and together. And um, on the same day that we would have celebrated graduation, which is the 25th of June, we will um, continue to do that, uh, except for instead of at the Access Event Center, it'll be at our local drive-in. Um, the capacity of the drive-in isn't the same that it would be at the Access Event Center, so we're going to have to limit the number of uh, tickets that we can issue there to just basically one per graduating um, kid in their household and, and some of our staff to come and help support. Um, and another major difference, I guess, is that because the drive-in movie can't start until it's dusk, we're looking at starting at about 10 p.m. and having our, our ceremony considerably later in the day than we would have under ordinary circumstances. But we're psyched and ready, and, and uh, we think we have an amazing product. I think it's going um, to surprise a lot of people just how, how good this looks.
Well, and you shared with me, uh, with Cam, my producer, and Cam sent them on to me, the videos of the of the teachers and everybody preparing the grad packs, and then the teachers delivered the packs to the kids, which was really cool. I'll be honest with you, a couple of short little videos, but I was getting kind of choked up. It was so nice to see that they are still able, in the middle of this pandemic, to still celebrate you know, their education and, and being able to graduate in 2020 with some ceremony. Yeah, we knew it had to look different. Um, but yes, our staff got together and, and in that little video that was on our Twitter feed there, I guess you can sort of see we had a setup of workstations for socially distanced workstations for our, our teachers first day back in our buildings there on June 1st, who in the morning spent time putting together a package that included a yard sign and a cap and a gown and some uh, some other trinkets and extras there, wrapped them up nicely in the morning and then another crew of teachers headed out in the afternoon to hand deliver those house by house to every one of our 137 graduates students and it was a great way to kind of start off our June um, and I think it was a great way to make our students feel assured that they're still in the forefront of our minds like they always are even if they can't be right in front of us in our classrooms. Yeah Uh, we're going to be talking to Swan Valley uh, later on in the show and they're putting up pictures large pictures of the grads on on Main Street right in in the town which is cool so many of the schools and we've been talking to several schools today as we go along here and so many of them have come up with great ideas it's really cool you and your teachers have really with the help of the kids too, the students you guys have really done a great job trying to make something special out of this really challenging situation well, we've tried, and I think that's the lesson that we would want our students when they're leaving our hallways after their four years of high school with us and 13 years with, um, you know, in the public school system is that, you know, life's going to uh, throw you lemons sometimes, and if you can make some lemonade out of them, you're in a, in a, in a better situation than otherwise, right? So uh, those adaptable, uh, adaptability skills are things that we want our students to be able to walk away from and the, and the opportunity to try to find a solution when life um, throws you a problem and you encounter one is is a is a lesson that we're happy to model here in this time we wish we didn't have to <laughs> for sure but yeah. um, we're happy to model it if, if we have to so it's um, you know like I said it's an exciting time for us and you know to be honest uh, I didn't I don't think I mentioned this to Cam but um, this particular large group of students there's five of us on staff have graduates in that class and five five people out of my own staff here including myself and my vice principal have graduating daughters in oh, this group, cool. and then another three of our staff members have kids who are graduating here too. So um, this particular graduation, I guess, uh, touches our group um, both both personally and professionally quite a bit. Absolutely, Marianne. Thanks for joining us today and telling us about it. And uh, have a great grad. Yeah, thanks so much. Seventy percent of respondents to the Leger and the Association for Canadian Studies survey indicated they trust the police a lot or somewhat, down nine percent from May and eleven percent from April. So seventy percent trust police, but just in the past couple of months that's down twenty percent. And joining us now to talk about it, Frank Cormier, head of sociology and criminology at the University of Manitoba. Frank, good afternoon. Good afternoon. So your initial reaction to the poll, it, it, it doesn't surprise me um, because of what's been happening, Minneapolis, Atlanta, and, and elsewhere. What's your reaction? No, it, it doesn't surprise me at all either. Um, in fact, I wouldn't have been surprised if, if the drop had even been higher than it was. And 
Is it just these, in, here's my other question that I'm curious to know. Do you think this will bounce back after some time goes by? These incidents affected it for now. Will it come back, or, or do you think that uh, the trust that we've had in police in the past, and many people still trust the police, but the trust that we've had, has it been damaged long-term, do you think, because of uh, these incidents? Yeah, in general, I think it has. Now, it depends how we define long-term, of course. Um, in, the, in the short to medium term, I, I, don't think, I don't expect to see any bounce back anytime soon. Now, having said that, with, with the momentum that's gaining now to completely you know, re-examine um, and perhaps revamp how policing is done, certainly in the United States, and I'm sure some of that will trickle over into Canada, um, you know, eventually, if there are major changes made and people do come to see police as, you know, public servants and, and protectors and, and trustworthy again, then we might see a rebound. But for the, the short to medium term, no, I don't think so. The term defunding the police uh, isn't, at least not here, uh, what they're talking about here is sort of reallocating funds, moving money around, maybe taking away from the police budget to get at the root causes of crime. So, like, I kind of don't like the three words, right, defund the police. Uh, but do you think this is a good idea? Can we take the money and better use it? Are police doing things now that they shouldn't be doing? Does it make sense? Yeah, it, it does make sense. And you're, you're absolutely right that, you know, defund, abolish, defund the police. Uh, it, it has as many meanings as there are people who use that phrase, it seems, right now. Um, but most reasonable people who are talking about defunding are not simply talking about just yanking all that money away, but what you suggested, where we reallocate money. And, you know, most police services, certainly in North America, have been talking for years about the fact that, you know, they're not trained to be social workers and they're not trained to be mental health workers and they're not dog catchers, yet, you know, they're often asked to do that. They're sort of the last, the last people available um, and often the first to, to be called. So it, it absolutely makes all kinds of sense to, when we look at the, the, the amount of resources that, that are being poured into policing in, in Canada, um, if there's, it's, there's no question in my mind that that money could be better allocated to provide the services that people really need. As, as many have, have observed, a person having a, a mental health crisis doesn't need an armed response team coming. Um, neither does a loose dog or, you know, neither does um, <laughs> someone who has some other more, more minor need that could be better dealt with um, by some other service agency than, than armed police. Is part of the problem here that we, and I include myself in this, we don't understand everything that's involved in policing. You know, we can look at what happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis, and most people say that shouldn't have happened. I made the comment that after seeing the video of a guy in Atlanta, I don't think he should have been shot. Well, then I get text messages and emails from people going, he was wrestling with police, he took the taser, he was running away, what would you do? And then other people will say, well, why didn't they shoot him in the leg? Or that I don't think we have an understanding of how challenging being a police officer is. And we don't necessarily understand the things we see. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I agree with that. And there's, there's really there's two kinds of misunderstanding of you know, who the police are and what the police do. But, yeah, the, the average person really does not have a clear idea of what police do and the training they receive, and the procedures that they use. Now, one of the 
say misperceptions that that part of the public has a perception of police that they are all perfect heroes all the time um where they're not they're human and you know police will be the first to admit that um and then there's the other part of the public that that believes that virtually anything that the police do is wrong and yes it's it's very easy to second guess um what what i would have done in that Situation, and none of us knows how we'll respond in any situation and, until we're in it. Um, so there's there's many many critics, but not nearly as many people who have uh, an informed or educated opinion on what they're seeing. And that that recent piece of video that just came out a few days ago, where the the person had broken into the concert hall and the video of um, the police subduing him, and there were many different opinions on that. Right, one expert said that it was absolutely police brutality. And it went way beyond the means of what was necessary. And then, um, you know, the Winnipeg police spokesperson went through the video again and gave sort of the police side of it. And those are the the discussions that are going to be the most complex part of, you know, revamping policing and sort of regaining the public's trust by police agencies. Because reasonable people can debate whether or not the use of force training police receive right now is is right, whether it's adequate, whether it's proper. But technically, when one watches that that recent video from the outside the concert hall, um, in my opinion, those officers exactly followed the training that they receive um, as part of the Winnipeg Police Service. So some might say, well, then they, they're not being trained correctly. That's one argument. But I don't believe that they did anything that was outside of exactly what they're trained to do. Yeah, and I agree. But 12 hours before that, when I saw that grainy piece of video on social media, my first reaction was, oh boy, that doesn't look good. And I had questions. And then the next day, a better video and police put things in context. And then I went, oh, okay, he's not kicking him in the head. He kicked him twice in the shoulder, and that's a tactic that they're taught, right? So this is going to be so difficult, though, isn't it, Frank? Because every you just said even experts have differing opinions on on some of the things that that police are are doing. This is going to be very difficult. It, it is going to be very difficult. And and when you say even experts, and the problem is there, there's no licensing body that decides who gets yeah. to call him or herself an right. expert. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm not even comfortable when when you know a member of the media describes me as an expert. Um, I, I know a little more, and I've thought more, and I've read more, and I've seen the research, but and it's dangerous because we have all kinds of, of self-professed experts now um, who will give their opinions, and, and we do have to be careful because so much of this, it, it is perception, and it's the angle from which you see it. Um, again, that, that video, the first thing, I heard a media report about it, and I thought, oh, my God, this is awful. What did they do yeah. to that poor man? Mm-hmm. And then when I saw even the original video, the, the more grainy, you know, less, less high-definition one, I thought I didn't feel like I was watching the same video that I had heard mm-hmm. described. So, again, you know, perceptions and opinions will vary. So it's going to be a really complicated conversation. Yeah. I'm going to go a little long here, Cam, my producer back at CGOB, because I've got two questions. Matt just put out one on text here. Matt's listening, and he says, The media is complicit in fanning the flames of racial divide and hatred of police. What do you think of that? Matt makes that point. <laughs> well, I, uh, that, that's a fairly broad and fairly blunt 
statement. Yeah, you can't lump us all in the um, same. Uh, yeah, but 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 no. I think there have been cases where that's the case. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, there's an old saying in in criminology that if it bleeds, it leads. So the yep. more sensational, the more violent, the more likely it is to get attention. So people are right when they. Some people might observe that. Well, nobody ever says anything when the police disarm a suspect, you know, calmly and gently and with no injury, but they'll always pick it up when, when something goes wrong. Um, and that works in both directions, with criminals and with police and with, with everybody else. Um, and it really depends on, the, on what media outlet we're talking about. There are legitimate uh, media sources and there are yeah. less legitimate media sources, ones that are yeah. ideologically driven, politically driven, etc. Mm-hmm. So it, I wouldn't want to you know, make a, a yeah. broad statement like that. But uh, you know what? I would say we are all, in some sense, complicit. Yeah. Because we all talk about it. We all spread information, particularly in the age of, of social, social media. media. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're all complicit. We are, you know, I'm a sociologist um, mm-hmm. as well as a criminologist. And our society is a product of, of all of us, and all of us are a product of our society. Um, so we all bear some responsibility. Hey, Frank, I don't have time for my other question. We'll do it next time. Thanks a lot for this. You're very welcome. All right, let's talk about this. Uh, I saw this. uh, So many stories I see, and I think of you, Chris Rutkowski, a science writer and weirdologist. Come on in here, Chris. Um, Are you getting tired of my text messages asking you all these questions about crashed UFOs and all that stuff? Oh, never hell, never hell. It's always a, a, a pleasure to get a texture in here. Is it? All right. Well, you usually yeah. shoot yeah. my, I'll go, Chris, have you seen this video of this crash? Yeah, hell, it's bogus. It's not real. <laughs> um, but it's fun to watch anyhow. Hey, uh, so I see this. A new study says there could be more than 30 alien civilizations in the Milky Way. They say there are 36 planets in the galaxy, Milky Way galaxy. Um, and there's some other interesting stuff in here too, and I'll get you to weigh in on this. I'll just throw some info out and then we'll talk about it. Um, this study says that the closest civilization, if there is one, and they say there might be 30 out there, more than 30 maybe, they say the closest one to us would be 17,000 light years away, which would make communication with us uh, by them very difficult. I'm sure you looked at this after I texted you this morning, uh, so I, I know you know what you're talking about here. Do you buy this? I, I, I've never seen a number like that before, 30-plus uh, civilizations in the Milky Way. Well, yes, and uh, I guess you have to subtract one if you want to include us. I mean, with this, <laughs> right. this civilization, you just, yes. you just turn on CNN. I mean, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One day they're going to, you know what, I was thinking about this, Chris, one day they're going to land here and go, are you the a-holes who keep on trying to contact us? Because you need to (laughs) knock it off, right? (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting they've come out with a number like that. Um, And when you look at the actual paper that they produced and their calculations, it's kind of a, not a, I wouldn't say a wild guess, but it's a, I suppose, a relatively educated guess. What they've done is, They've taken the uh, the assumption that, you know, well, we're here, so let's assume that all other civilizations or intelligent civilizations in the galaxy kind of got to where they are the same way we did. So they looked at, you know, how long um, the Earth has been around, uh, you know, four and a half billion years or so, how long uh, it took for life to form, uh, you know, let's say it started three and a half billion years ago, and then the dinosaurs came along and they were gone 35 million years ago, and 
you know, how often do planets form around stars? They did all these calculations, you know, assuming that everything is exactly the same as, as us. And they came out with this number somewhere, you know, 30, 35, 36, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, except that, you know, a lot of these calculations are based on fairly good guesses, too. So we really don't know exactly, you know, right. when life started and, and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, even in their calculations, they have what's called, you know, decent error bars. And error bars is sort of like, well, it's somewhere between, you know, 17 and 1,000 or something like that. Yeah. And right. it's somewhere in the middle. And this 30, 30 or 36 is somewhere in that, that average. But one of the error bars makes the uh, number of intelligent civilizations in our galaxy zero. And, you know, maybe they're right. Uh, it's, a, it's a good calculation, I suppose. But it just shows they're, they're, they're just, I mean, it could be that life started earlier on some planets or later. The suns are, that their uh, planets are around are, are hotter or colder. It's, it, it, there's so many parameters that we really don't know. The other thing they assume is that uh, an intelligent civilization that's able to communicate has to be around for at least 100 years. And, uh, you know, we, we you know, got radio and so forth, you know, around the turn of the last century and things like that. So we've been broadcasting a little bit. So we've only been, you know, gingerly traveling into space recently, uh, relatively recently. Uh, so, you know, yeah, yeah. But what if, you know, civilizations last a lot, lot longer? Or what happens if, you know, something like, a, oh, a, a virus comes along and wipes out the entire civilization? Um you know, there's there's so many parameters that we really don't know. So it's an educated guess, I suppose, mm-hmm. and I suspect there's that this number is probably not correct. Yeah. Let me adjust my tinfoil hat here as I ask you my next question, because at the start you said this study is sort of based on, well, we're here, so why can't there be others like us? And I kind of think that's the best argument, you know, for people that go, ah, come on, they don't exist, right? There are not aliens, there are no UFOs, there's no other civilizations in the Milky Way, come on. I think that's a really good argument to say, well, it has to be possible because we're here. Absolutely, and that's that's why there's no question their number's wrong, but the, there's a number that's right, and <laughs> we don't right. know what that number is. We know yeah. that there's probably intelligent uh, and, and you know advanced civilizations out there in the galaxy somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. Some actually, if you, you, you know, put in a few more other numbers, the number works out to like ten thousand or twenty thousand or even more than that, and they're a lot closer than this seventeen thousand light years away they could be literally next door because that would just be an average too so mm-hmm. you know it's, there's no question they're out there but you know how many and, and where they are that's still the big question you know we still only have one example of a civilization uh in our solar system uh because we so far haven't found any uh, other life on uh on any of the planets or moons here so you know maybe it's a little more rare than we think maybe it's a little more common if the conditions are right we just don't know, but it's an interesting that you can you can you know prove that you know life does form under certain conditions. So you know, yeah, there, there's there's somebody out there. You know, as the saying goes, you know, the truth is out there. Unfortunately, we're stuck down here. Well, and the big question for me, Chris, is when will they come and take their leader Gary Busey back to their planet? Right? 
Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> when will he come and say he's one of us? Um, I got to ask you something. I was thinking about this, you know, with the pandemic and COVID-19 and everybody spending now more time outside and working less in, in many cases. Are you getting more, because you put together the UFO reports, uh, you know, every year. Um, are, are we getting more reports? Are people outside more not working as much and maybe seeing more lights in the sky? Well, you know, that's a very good question because um, we actually delayed our 2019 uh, annual Canadian UFO survey because of the pandemic. We were unable to gather enough data and things sort of went a little haywire. We're in the process of working on that now, but that would be from the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, and But we can say that so far in 2020, it looks like uh, numbers seem to be up. Um, and why that is, you know, could be, like you say, people are spending a little more time uh, outside or they have perhaps more free time or they have the opportunity or, you know, there's not a not as much planes flying overhead because, uh, you know, uh, the, because of the COVID and there's, uh, you know, a little more uh, dark sky. We're not sure about that. But it does seem that numbers seem to be a little higher and we hope to have some stats to back that up over the next few weeks. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I look forward to hearing about that. And uh, anything locally that you can can mention? Any unusual uh, UFO unidentified flying object reports of late around here? Uh, in Manitoba, we've had one or two reports because uh, you know they launched those uh, SpaceX uh, satellites again, uh, the Starlink satellites. So people are reporting these long strings of uh, lights moving in the sky that turn out to be these satellites uh, that were launched by uh, uh, by good old SpaceX. So we're getting reports of those. Nothing really earth-shattering to that, you know. And mm-hmm. but so there's still a lot out there, and uh, yeah. this is, people are going to finally take some vacation time. There's places in Manitoba where you can have some some UFO content. You can go out to Falcon Beach Ranch and take the yep. UFO horseback ride. You can. You know, go uh, go to Woodridge and see if you can see the UFO out there. You can look at some of the you know Sasquatch uh, uh, footprint casts that are up in uh, in the Paw, things like that. So there are places around uh, Manitoba that will be interesting to visit during a, a COVID vacation. Excellent. Hey, Chris Rakowski, I appreciate your time. Always, thanks a lot. Thank you. I was reading uh, this morning, as you know, I'm a movie guy, I'm a movie buff, I like movies and uh, good television and stuff, and I was reading that Jurassic Park Dominion, that's the new one, uh, will resume filming July 6th in Britain. Pre-production of that movie was halted back in March because of COVID-19, just four weeks into its 20-week production schedule, and when they get back at filming... They'll have temperature checks, extra cleanings will be implemented. All this is going to cost about $5 million more to the production of the movie, uh, these uh, measures that will be taken because of uh, COVID-19. And uh, Chris Pratt's one of the stars, and he uh, is set to return to London and will have to go through a two-week quarantine. And so as I'm reading this this morning, I thought, well, Gee, I know, you know, filming can be part of, uh, the resumption of filming can be part of phase three. 
uh, here in the, the province if there's an interest in uh, getting productions going again. And so joining us now, the Executive Director of On Screen Manitoba, Nicole Mediation. Nicole, it's been a while. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So um, are we seeing local productions getting back at it as uh, Phase 3 kicks in on, I guess, Sunday it is? Uh, Yeah, we certainly are. Uh, Some filming was allowed already under Phase 2, so we've seen some uh, small crews out on some documentary and factual productions as well as commercials. Um, And uh, now uh, we're preparing for feature films and and hopefully for television series as well later in the year. Will there be some filming that will literally get going as soon as phase three kicks in, do, uh, can you confirm that or, or is it just sort of yes, but no solid dates or, or details on productions? Yeah, there's, um, there's three features that are, uh, that are lining up for summertime. So, uh, you know, looking to mid July, mid August, uh, it again will depend a little bit on, pre- on preparations. We, um, as an industry association have been working with, all of the local stakeholders, the unions and the film commissions and, and agencies um, and production companies um, to develop uh, protocols that um, will help productions get back up uh, and started now that the guidelines have been published by the Manitoba government. I was going to ask you, I just mentioned uh, on Jura- on the new Jurassic movie, they're going to have temperature checks and extra cleaning and stuff. What sort of stuff will be part of the productions here when, when they happen uh, re-COVID? Well, for sure, there will be um, new cleaning and um, hygiene protocols encouraged. Um, that will be, you know, very much what we've all been uh, experience- experiencing over the, the last three months. Um, you know, hand washing will still be a very important thing for all of us to do moving forward. Um, certainly that's the message we're getting from public health. Um, so uh, production teams are expecting to, yes, have to do some extra cleaning. Um, our protocols also look at how teams can be divided into smaller groups to work together, um, to work in zones, um, and how to manage um, ensuring social distancing during production. And many of these people involved in productions are are, uh, sort of part of the gig economy where, you know, they're on a production for a number of weeks and then they maybe have several weeks off until the next production. So it has been, I'm sure, very difficult for people that rely on work in in the movie and television industry here in Winnipeg and Manitoba. It's been a tough few months. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know uh, people are certainly grateful to uh, have been able to um, access EI when they've been able to or the CERB um, when that's been a possibility. Um, You know, we are absolutely part of the gig economy and um, independent workers need support in times like these. And uh, um, we're certainly following with interest um, the federal discussions around extending CERB. Um, Everyone would prefer to be back at work, of course. Um, but if we're not able to work safely, um, then this allows us um, to continue to, to live comfortably and, and prepare for, for when we can get back to work.
Yeah, well, and Justin Trudeau just today said that he he will extend the uh, the serb for eight more eight more weeks, um, which which some say causes a whole another problem of people just taking the serb and maybe not wanting to to go back to work. But uh, that's a, another conversation. We don't have to have that one uh, here between you and me right now. Um, I did want to say it seems to me though that with our numbers so low here, no cases again today, and just five active cases of COVID nineteen. That may, in the short and longer term, be really good for us because these productions may start looking, wanting to get back at it and looking at a place like this and saying, wow, we got a film there. They've got no cases. Uh, productions have started up again. It, it, it is maybe a, a real good thing. Absolutely. It's a good thing, um, of course, for all of us. Um, but yeah, the low rates um, will uh, will also contribute to um, increased interest in in Manitoba as a production centre. Um, we still have the fourteen um, day isolation period, of course, um, and uh, productions are um, looking at plans to to manage that so that um, it can be as comfortable as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, any opportunity, again, to get back to work is, is viewed very positively. Hey, Nicole, thanks a lot for this, and uh, keep us posted. Appreciate your time. All right. Thanks so much. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.